the Baptist Broadcast. Thank you for tuning in through Spotify, through iTunes, Podcast Addict, or Anchor.fm. If you're watching on YouTube, please don't forget to click that subscribe button and the bell for continued notifications. Spiritual exegesis, or the exegesis of the regenerate. Um, I thought this might be a helpful... Uh, topic to talk about um, in light of the conversations happening concerning hermeneutics, which is the art and science of, in our case, biblical interpretation. Um, But it would also be helpful uh, to talk about it just for practical purposes. Um, I think that in Scripture, you see that, or we find that, the laity is able to understand what God has revealed not because they are experts in literary science, but because they have been given faith by the Holy Spirit to understand or apprehend the deep mysteries which God has given to them, and they do this within the context and in concert with the other saints. In other words, it's not uh, merely the application of a science to the text that yields us the correct answers in terms of the meaning of the text. It's actually the fact that God has worked by his Holy Spirit a true and living faith in us that allows us to see, being enlightened, to see the meaning, the full sense of the text. And We do that not as mere individuals. We do do that as individuals, but not merely as individuals. We do it predominantly within the context of the saints. Um, And so what I want to do here is I want to look at spiritual exegesis or the exegesis of the regenerate. My claim here, and I I think this is in keeping with uh, the understanding of biblical exegesis, not only from the scriptures itself, but but as far as it's testified unto by the history of Christianity, that in order to apprehend these mysteries, in order to know what the scriptures say, it's not just a matter of ap- applying a science and applying, you know, uh, scientific tools. It is a matter of having faith that God has worked in you that allows you to see what God has in the scriptures revealed to you. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to look at Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23, uh, but we're actually going to focus more on the first half of that section of text, and I'll bring it up here for you so you can see it. Um, I didn't want to do the whole two-side thing comparing uh, one text with another. We could because there are several parallels to this text, but I think it's better if you can just See the text on your screen, and and um, it should be big enough. I'll, I'll go ahead and make it a little bit bigger, uh, in case it's it's not. So there. Um, okay. So this is Ephesians one fifteen through twenty three. Now, uh, Paul is. Uh, if you look at this uh, this former passage, uh, he ends uh, the previous passage with verses thirteen and fourteen which say, in him you also 
trusted after you heard the word of truth. So the word of truth was the instrument or the requisite to uh, believe in him. The gospel of your salvation, which is identified with the word of truth, um, but it is the object of our faith, the object of our trust is the gospel of our salvation, in whom, that is, in him, in Christ, in whom, also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, okay, so th these, are, these are true believers, these are the regenerate, these are those who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 13, verse 14 describes more to us about the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee or uh, the first installment, or we might even say the down payment, the down payment or guarantee of our inheritance, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's presence in us or in the saints is the inaugural seal and presence of God to which we are being brought eschatologically being reconciled to God, which we will fully experience on the last day. But the Holy Spirit presence in the church now and in the believer is the initial installment, the first down payment of the fulfillment of that promise. So the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. He's the first installment, the first, the down payment of that inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The purchased possession, I believe, to be the saints to be the church, to the praise of his glory. It's all for the glory of God. So now we move down. That's that's kind of the pretext of what's going on in verses 15 through 23. We move now to Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Therefore, so what's the therefore? Therefore, um, it's a demonstrative. And so Paul is here drawing a conclusion. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Okay, so there's a couple of themes here that that play heavily into uh, into the context and into what's being said. Regeneration, that's the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, all right, comes by means of or along with the gospel of our salvation, the word of truth, which is the object of our faith, which is Christ and the person of Christ, the person and work of Christ. And then you have down here, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in who? The Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So we have regeneration and a living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a communal love, a love for all the saints, Paul says. This is the communion of saints. I love for all the saints. And then verse 17 continues on. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, Sophia, in the Greek. Um, interesting uh, word there. And then the term philosophy is, of course, just two words combined together. Uh, the love of wisdom or philo, Sophia. Sophia is wisdom. So the spirit of Sophia or the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay, so now this knowledge must be, or this wisdom, this Sophia or in the Latin sapience, 
And this knowledge, which is gnosko or epigonosko in this case, needs to be connected to this faith that is shared among these saints. All right, and that needs to be connected to the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in the faithful. Otherwise, they wouldn't have any faith, right? So we know for a fact that this faith comes antecedently to this further giving or this this progress, allegedly, because it's a subjunctive, right? Uh, that the that the Father may give to you the faithful, those who already have faith, and thus a rudimentary knowledge of this and this would give them further wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, of God the Father. All right. So that the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This verse 17 in particular prevents us from understanding that biblical interpretation, which we understand scripture to be the source of that revelation, right? Uh, scripture is the source of that revelation and thus the source that we go to to progress in wisdom and knowledge, Sophia and Gnosko. Um, so what this, what this means is that verse 17 makes faith, well, actually, it's, it's verses 13 through 17, really makes faith and Holy Spirit regeneration requisite to coming in, not only, not only apprehending initially the revelation of God, but in progressing in the revelation of God, progressing in the knowledge of him, which is revealed in the Holy Scriptures. That means that we cannot know the full sense of Scripture and progress in that knowledge merely by an application of grammatical and linguistic tools to the text. All right, so you can go to Homer's Iliad or Odyssey or Plato's Republic or Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, um, and you can apply the rules of grammar and language to those texts, and you can apprehend what is being said. Anybody can do that, believer or unbeliever, it doesn't matter. The scriptures do not operate the same way because the scriptures are not written by men. They are written by God through men, and so, and, and that's what verbal plenary inspiration is, and so there's a proportionate way to that fact that we come to knowledge of the scriptures. You cannot come to a knowledge or a full knowledge of the scriptures through merely an application of literary science, all right, or critical science. You, you must come to a knowledge of the scriptures through faith that the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, works in you, okay? Um, and so he goes on. Verse 18 describes the reason or the sufficient explanation for what has been said in verse 17. So verse 17 says, or, or, or we might ask, verse 17b, that God may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Why can he do that? Why should we think that that is 
in the realm of possibility, verse 18 explains it, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Because the eyes of your understanding have been enlightened, God, it's, it's, God is going, we, we could say, I think with the plenary understanding of the scriptures, God will give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, but God may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That's a prayer or it's a subjunctive. It's like a, it's akin to a wish, but it's, it's, I don't want to resolve, uh, I don't want to resolve it all the way down to a wish. It's more than that because it's, 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 it's Paul hoping that God would do this. Why does he hope that God would do this? Well, the eyes of their understanding have been enlightened. Therefore, they are able to know. Therefore, they are able to progress in wisdom and knowledge. And he says, that you may know, what is the hope of his calling? Now, they already have some knowledge of that. We, we, we see that back in verse 13. They already have some knowledge of that. There's a rudimentary understanding of that, but they but Paul here desires that they would progress in that knowledge, that they may know what is the hope of his calling, that they may come to a sure understanding, that they may idonize what is the hope of his calling, that they, may, that they may know it and walk in that knowledge of it. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? In other words, you, 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 you have an initial understanding of this inheritance, but you must grow in this understanding because they are there there are riches of the glory of his inheritance in the again he brings the corporate aspect back he says in the saints all right so um again let's kind of tally up the themes we have here we have regeneration we have a faith worked by god the object of which is the lord jesus christ we have wisdom we have revelation. We have knowledge in him. We have the eyes of your understanding, which, by the way, is the understanding of mind. It's not, it's, not the, it's not our physical eyes. It's not these eyes. It's the eyes of your mind being enlightened. So the eyes of your mind or the intellect being enlightened unto this truth in virtue of the fact that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and working faith in you in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So what are the so the under, so we have the understanding, we have the enlightenment of the mind which has occurred already with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. All right. So all of those things in view are are in view. Paul is not saying here that you need to be experts in the Greek. You need to be experts in the literary historical con context of me, right, of, of Paul, or of John, or of Peter. You need to be experts in ancient Near Eastern studies. You need to be experts in uh, the, the latest findings in the science of archaeology in order to rightly understand this word. No, he's saying you must have faith. You must have faith. You must have an understanding or a mind that has been enlightened that God may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. All right. This is very practical. It's very practical because we're not, as pastors, this is, I think, very important. As pastors, we're not going to the pulpit and presenting ourselves as the experts in all things 
Greek New Testament and Hebrew Old Testament. Um, we are struggling with the saints to know the meaning of God's word. Yes, the pastor should be trained. Yes, the pastor should be able to rightly divide the word of truth and then bring that down to a way in which, to a level at, at which the saints, the laity can understand. That's all true. I'm not, I'm not downplaying any of that. But what's being said here in Ephesians 1 is not that the laity, is not that uh, anyone needs to have all of the tools of grammar, history, and language mastered and perfectly applied to the text of Scripture. It's saying that those who are in Christ, regardless of the access that they have with history, regardless of the access they have to uh, Greek lexicons, can, by faith, know what the Word is saying. They can know what the Word is saying. Um, in their common tongue. Uh, they can know what the word is saying in their common tongue um, because God has has providentially ensured that there have been translations uh, from the Hebrew and the Greek into the Latin, uh, from the Latin into uh, other languages such as German, from the German into the English, and so on and so forth, and good translations as well that have uh, relied on uh, maybe not the earliest manuscripts, but have relied on um, tried and true uh, Greek um, texts and Hebrew texts that have been and have kind of uh, arrogated throughout the history of the church and have become a commonly understood reliable text. Um, the Septuagint, for example. Uh, if you give the Septuagint to a textual scholar, they may want to try and tear it apart and try to match it with or or show the incongruity it has with, you know, the, the earlier Hebrew manuscripts that we have, um, or fragments, rather, that we have. Um, but the New Testament authors understood the Septuagint to be an accurate text. Um, I think, by and large, that's the case that the Septuagint was an accurate text under the providence of God given to the people and thus able to be understood um, more widely than just the Hebrew Old Testament and Aramaic Old Testament could have been understood because it was the Septuagint's translated into the Greek, which was the common tongue of the people for a very long time. Um, and so uh, the point here that I'm trying to make is that a person who has the scriptures in their common tongue assuming that it's a good translation, they can know what God has revealed to them by the faith that God has worked in them through the Holy Spirit, right? They don't have to be experts in archaeology. They don't have to be experts in uh, ancient Near Eastern studies. They don't even have to be experts in the original Greek or the original Hebrew, they must have faith that God is pleased to give them through the proclamation of the gospel or by means of the proclamation of the gospel. And through that means, God may give to them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, 
What are the riches of, his of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And moving on into verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he, was ra when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, what happens now most of the time is that you have the uh, historical critical guys and the historical grammatical guys who will say, well, it's just a matter of applying the right tools correctly to the text that we can then derive true meaning, which seems to insinuate that all we need is basically a common notion shared between unbeliever and believer that yields the full sense of the text. And that's all we need. And then they will say, uh, and sometimes make claims to the effect of, um, we are the biblical guys. We are the ones taking the scriptures seriously. But I just want to observe here, from Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, that's not what the Bible itself says. The Bible itself does not say, in order to know what this text says, you must just correctly apply tools of literary or textual science. Scripture nowhere says that. Scripture does say everywhere that in order to understand this text, the, 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 the wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the source of which is the Holy Scripture, you must have faith, you must have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And the corporate element is brought into that. This is comprehending the truth that God has revealed to us with all the saints. All right? It's with all the saints. Comprehending with all the saints what has been revealed to us. Um, and so uh, it's not just, brothers and sisters, it's not just a matter of uh, applying, you know, the tools of, of textuary, te textual and literary uh, science and research. It's more than that. Uh, yes, do we have to have? Do we have to go to the text with an understanding of the laws of, of logic and the laws of thought? Yes. Do we have to go to the the text assuming grammar and grammatical rules? Yes, of course. Uh, and and I would say that everyone just kind of even even if that even if those rules aren't made explicit, they're implicit in the minds of every reader reading the Bible in their common language, right? That yes, there's there's word order, there's context, there's there's all of that. But if you're not reading with the eyes of faith, you are not reading the text as it has been intended to be read. If you're going into the text thinking that you're going to derive the truth of God's word by a mere application of the tools of natural science, because that's what they are, then you're sorely mistaken. And you're sorely mistaken in light of biblical revelation. Biblical revelation tells us that it's not just an application of the tools of science, but that it is faith, reading and understanding what God has revealed to us. It is a humble submission to God and to his inspired word, understanding that God, the authority, is, for example, uh, or has the prerogative to comment on his own text. So reading with the eyes of faith would understand that 
when we read the old, the New Testament and it comments on something in the Old Testament, well, the buck stops there. The New Testament, being inspired by God, is providing authoritative commentary on the Old Testament, right? That's what, and you have to have faith to believe that. You have to have faith to believe that because, again, this isn't just a, a compilation of human documents. This is a single inspired divine document, right? Behind which there is a single mind, ultimately. That's faith, believing that God is the author of this book. And because God is the author of this book, we can make those intertextual connections between New Testament and Old Testament. So we're not reduced down to a mere literary or grammatical study of the text. We read with the eyes of faith, knowing that God has inspired this text for our good, for our knowledge, for our wisdom, our knowledge in him. And therefore, we read the New Testament's commentary on the Old Testament. We say, yes, that's an authoritative commentary. I have to go with that. We see the method of interpretation given to us in the New Testament, how the New Testament authors interpret the Old Testament. We say, yes, by faith, we say that's the way you interpret the Old Testament because the New Testament authors are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so it's the Holy Spirit teaching us how to interpret the Old Testament and so on and so forth. There's just examples of what it means to read the Bible with faith. You can't do that if you're just applying the mere tools of literary or textual science. All right, so it's more than that brethren. Um, it's much more than that. One must have the Spirit living in them. They must have faith. They must have humility as they approach the text. If they don't have humility as they approach the text, then they will not, in their study, their study will not yield a true understanding of the text. It's just going to become like any other book that can be uh, that can be understood by these empirical tools and you're going to use it as a bat to make your point or to win your argument or, you know, what have you. And so it's very important that we understand humility. The, the humility that faith produces is necessary in the reading of the text. There is no such thing as a common notion between unbeliever and believer in terms of the reading and understanding and apprehending and comprehending with the saints the text of Scripture. All right, One must have the Spirit of God dwelling in them in order to in order to know the text. One must have faith worked in them by God in the Lord Jesus Christ to know the text. And they must do this within the context of all the saints. It's not a mere individual exercise. Anyways, hopefully this video was helpful uh, to anyone who watched it. If it was, please consider sharing it. Give a thumbs up. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel. God bless.